Good morning. So before we dive into our topic this morning, I want to take a minute to check in with you, see how you're holding up. When someone asks how you're doing, have you ever responded with, I'm tired? Anybody? What about, I'm good, but life is just so busy right now? Anybody on that one? Okay, if you've somehow never uttered these words yourself, have you ever heard somebody else say they are just tired or just so busy? I'm thinking every hand should go up with that. <laughs> I think we've all heard that. Can we take a moment to agree that we live in a culture that is more hurried and tired than rested? Now, I want to ask, are you feeling tired this morning? Are you overwhelmed by busy in your life? Is your mind more present to your body in this room right now or focused on your to-do list and work waiting for you tomorrow morning? What about your body? What is your physical body telling you? Is your body full of tension? Do you need to loosen your jaw, drop your shoulders? Take a deep breath. I think you can see where we're going this morning with our topic, so I'm going to take a moment now to pray, to give us a beat and ask God to help us be present in this place, in our bodies, with one another, and to the ways Jesus wants to meet with us here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for bringing us together in fellowship and worship with one another today. You promise that when we gather in your, in your name, that you will be among us. God, we welcome you here with us. Thank you for being a God with arms wide open. I pray that no matter who is listening and how they are feeling today, that they will experience and accept your invitation to run into your open arms. Thank you for calling us to great things and involving us in growing your kingdom. And thank you for also including a call for us to slow down, rest, and sit in connection with you. I pray that today might feel like a deep breath, leaving us ready to shine your light in our homes, schools, workplaces, and communities when we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I am honored to be a part of continuing a series we've been calling Roadblocks, Moving Forward. So far, we've heard about the roadblocks of cynicism, labels, and overwhelm. Pastor Todd opened the series about facing roadblocks and said that we have a choice between cynicism and trust. He said that leaning into cynicism will bring your progress as a follower of Jesus to a standstill. So we talked about some practical ways to lean into trusting others, trusting the motivations of others, and ultimately trusting God with our whole lives. Because we know if we are distrusting of other people, we will generally be distrusting of God. Then we heard from Ben for part two when he talked about the roadblock of labels. He said that labels are a roadblock to love. He reminded us that Jesus chose to see people, not labels. Ben's bottom line was that labels and love are incompatible because labels are a roadblock to intimacy, community, to knowing and being known. You can't love someone if you're labeling them. Then last time, a couple weeks ago, Dad talked about some things that cause us to be overwhelmed and that overwhelm becomes a roadblock to the clarity that God wants us to live our lives with. And we looked at some passages written by David in the Old Testament and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. The takeaway principle was one that we've been repeating here for the last three years or so, that when you're overwhelmed, what's true is more important than what you feel is true. If you missed any of those, sorry for the spoilers, but you can find all of our messages on our website or on our podcast. In the coming weeks, you'll be hearing from the rest of our teaching team on some other roadblocks like fear, insecurity, shame, and comparison. Today, we're going to dive into the roadblock of hurry. 
Around church and in Christian circles, we often refer to this idea of following Jesus as a journey. Some people refer to it as walking with Jesus, or maybe you've heard people call it their Christian walk, and we'll often use words like your faith journey. All those terms are fine and pretty accurately describe the experience of following Jesus. Because after all, if we're following someone, doesn't that imply that we're going somewhere? That we're moving in a direction. And if we're moving in a direction, if we're moving forward, then doesn't it stand to reason that there's a path that we can follow, that there's a road that we can walk on? Perhaps while walking on that road, Jesus would sometimes walk ahead of us. Sometimes we can see him clearly up ahead. Sometimes maybe he's up and around the corner and maybe we can't see him right at the moment. Or maybe it's a little foggy and we're pretty sure he's still up there. We can hear his voice, but things aren't as clear as when the sun is shining. And sometimes Jesus slows the pace and just settles in next to us to walk with us. It's clear that at some points along the way in our journeys, we are going to encounter some roadblocks. It's part of following Jesus and it's simply part of our human experience. And you're probably here today because you want to follow Jesus and you want to be consistent and fully devoted, following him in a way that makes a lasting and eternal difference in your life and the life of others. And even if you're skeptical of this whole Christianity thing, committing to church or just walk through the doors carrying some big doubts this morning, you're at least intrigued about the life of Jesus and what he's all about. Even if you're not sure about your faith as a whole, you can probably agree that Jesus has always had followers because he's someone worth following. As we work through this series, I think you'll find some ideas that you identify with. You'll probably resonate with some roadblocks more than others, but if you'll stay engaged and if you'll be honest, I think you'll find yourself saying, yeah, been there, done that, or yep, I'm there right now. This roadblock has really slowed me down and I'm not making the progress I want to be making. And even if some of the topics are less relevant in your life, chances are that it's hitting home to someone you're close with. Our hope is that by digging into some of these topics, we can begin to acknowledge and address some of the roadblocks and ultimately begin to move forward, to regain some of our spiritual momentum, to keep moving forward as we follow Jesus, and to know that there are others navigating these same roadblocks alongside us or have at least found themselves there before. Whether you're with us here in person or on church online or watching on demand or listening to the podcast in the car or while doing dishes, thank you for being with us. A verse we have been circling back to throughout this series is Galatians 5, verse 25. The Apostle Paul writes this, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So, how do we follow the Spirit's leading when we're facing the roadblock of hurry? Let's start in Matthew 11, and we'll be focusing on verses 27 through 30. These are some familiar words to those who have been around church for a while, but it honestly took me years to understand what it meant. To set it up, Jesus had just revealed himself as the Messiah to John the Baptist, who was in prison and hearing about all the things Jesus was doing. We are going to jump in at verse 27, where Jesus has been giving a prayer of thanksgiving. Here's what he says. My father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. 
As someone who grew up in church, I have memory of first hearing these words from a pretty young age. I remember wondering what Jesus, rest, and something about eggs all had to do with each other. I didn't know there was a yolk, Y-O-L-K, and a yolk, Y-O-K-E. Being a kid, I just shrugged it off as something too complex for my young brain to understand. <laughs> and then finally, one day, probably older than I'd like to admit, somebody taught on this verse, and thank goodness gave me a visual aid. <laughs> So if you're like little Aaron and are also picturing an egg or just can't quite grasp what is going on here, here's a picture for you. That is a yolk. Clearly a more relevant visual in Jesus' day than for eight-year-old Aaron growing up in the luxuries of modern Western culture. <laughs> if you Google the purpose of a yolk, which I did to be able to properly describe it to you, it explains that it is a wooden bar or frame used to join draft animals at the heads or necks so they can pull together. Pull together. Let's look at Jesus' words again. And now I ask you to not just check in with yourself physically, not just if you're physically tired or busy, but if you are carrying heavy burdens. Are you in a season of heaviness? Is life feeling you, filling you with uncertainty, worry, loss, heartbreak? because I have good news for you. Jesus' yoke is easy to bear, and his burden is light. His words, not mine. And you might respond with, well, that sounds nice, but this burden can't be taken from me. I already lost my job. The cancer already won. He's too far into the depths of addiction. She already broke my heart. Our debt is too big to ever dig our way out. My burdens are too big. They can't be taken from me. What's done is done. You know, Jesus doesn't promise us easy and comfort in this broken world. In fact, he tells us to give up our own way, take up our own cross, and follow him. But you know what he offers us? He offers to come alongside. His invitation is to all who are weary, all who are carrying heavy burdens, to share the weight that is too much for our individual limited strength. Ben brought this up a few weeks back, that the cliche that God doesn't give us more than we can handle isn't in the Bible. Being unable on our own is the point. Walking with God is the point. And as we walk with him, he says, my yoke is easy. Let's pull this together. I've recently been reading the Passion Translation, which translates Jesus' words like this. Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me. I don't know about you, but re refreshment and rest in an oasis sounds pretty nice to me. I am thankful to be living in a season full of more joy and excitement than challenge and difficulty right now. My husband Jeff and I got married in 2018, and we welcomed our son into the world in 2021. We are living the life we started dreaming about when we started dating eight years ago. We come back to gratitude just about daily, still in awe that we get to live this life together. We know harder seasons will find us, but we are doing our best to not take this one for granted either. But guess what? In the middle of joy, we are still tired. We still need rest. And you know what happens when we don't rest? We lose sight of gratitude, our patience runs dry with our sweet little boy, <laughs> and we stop being present. And it all leads to less laughter, more frustration, and a lack of connection with God and each other. The point is, whether you consider your current season of life 
heavy or light, a challenge or a breeze, full of joy or hardship. I'm sure you can still see the necessity of rest and that we will all find ourselves facing the roadblock of hurry. Let's take a look at rest, not in terms of a day off or a week of vacation, but in terms of pace of life every day. John Mark Comer, author of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says this, hurry is incompatible with the way of Jesus. John Mark Comer is heavily influenced by philosopher Dallas Willard, who once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Now, when you think about the life of Jesus, a slow pace probably isn't what you picture. It's not what I picture. We think of him traveling, healing, teaching, debating religious leaders, that whole dying and coming back to life thing. He was a busy guy. I think he was busy, but I don't think he was hurried. We see again and again and again that Jesus went away to a quiet place. In Luke 5:16, we read, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In John 4, we see Jesus physically rest with the woman at the well. In Mark 6, after feeding the 5,000, we see Jesus send his disciples ahead of him while he went up to the mountainside to pray. In Mark 1.35, before spending his time preaching in synagogues and driving out demons, we see Jesus wake up while it was still dark to go to a solitary place and pray. I love that Jesus doesn't just model rest for us, but he models many types of rest and different motives for rest. In this first example, the key word is often. Jesus didn't just wait until his body was failing him and he got sick. He didn't wait until he was short-tempered or at the end of his rope. Instead, Jesus withdrew often. He made rest and prayer a habit. Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well is one of my favorites as it reveals so much about the character of who he was. But something else that it shows is his full humanity. Yes, he was at that well fully knowing that he would be meeting the Samaritan woman and revealing himself as the Messiah. But what brought both of them to that place? A shared humanity, a need for rest and a need for water. Then after feeding the 5,000, Jesus displays a rest of recovery. I don't know what it's like to perform a miracle, but I can't imagine it's a light work. <laughs> I love how the show The Chosen depicts Jesus performing miracles because they give us the visual of it taking something out of him. He wasn't just prancing through towns, poking people on the head like, boop, you're healed, boop, you're healed, boop, you're healed. It wasn't that simple. <laughs> it took energy and power, and it left him needing to recover. So after this miracle of multiplying food to feed thousands, he sent his disciples again ahead so he could retreat to the mountainside to pray. On the flip, in the example from Mark, we see him spend his morning before the sun came up and prayer before going out to preach and heal. I think this example shows us the importance of preventative rest. Sometimes we have the gift of knowing something is coming up that is going to require a lot of us. And Jesus gives us the example of resting with God in preparation and to protect the work ahead of him. There are more examples throughout the Bible, but if we're following Jesus and that means being like him, I think just from these four examples, we can agree that John Mark Comer was right and saying that hurry is incompatible with the way of Jesus. So, would you say you go through your days with a pace of life that you're proud of, or one you'd like to slow down? Is your pace of life reflecting the pace of life that Jesus demonstrated for us? In preparing for this morning, I discovered something new. The word ambition is only used in three contexts in the entire New Testament. 
The Greek word is uh, that, <laughs> if anybody wants to dare to say that. <laughs> and here are the three times it can be found in the New Testament. In Romans 15.20, we read about an ambition to preach the good news. In 2 Corinthians 5.9, we read about an ambition to please God. Both of those sound like what we expect to hear at church, right? <laughs> and now I'm going to need your help with this last one. I can't say this to save my life, so if you can help me. And first, Thessalonians. Oh, that wasn't too bad, but thank you. I thought I'd make fun of myself before you all made fun of me. <laughs> In this verse, we read about an ambition to lead a quiet life. By definition, ambition and rest seem to contradict each other. But from these verses, we know that God has a desire to see us lead a quiet life. Just like he longs to see us live lives that please him and grow his kingdom. So ambition does not contradict rest. One of our ambitions should be to rest. So before we move on, let's take a second to accept that rest is good and pleasing to God. And not just a necessary part of the human experience, but of healthy connection with God and others. Perhaps you are familiar with these words found in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Even if you haven't read that in the Bible, you've probably at least seen it on a Hobby Lobby sign or something like that. It might look nice on the wall and feel nice to read. But ironically, how often might we rush by the reminder even with it right in front of us? Can we still know that God is God in the hustle? Will God meet us there? I certainly think he can and does, but I also believe and have experienced the depth of intimacy that comes from being truly still and God waiting for me there. The Hebrew word for be still is rafa, which means to sink down, relax, let go, hang limp, be feeble. There have been times that I've been run dry with nothing left to give and fallen into the arms of a loved one or trusted friend. That's how I like to think of this to let everything go limp. Maybe that's your physical body, or maybe it's just metaphorically letting go of everything going on in your heart and mind. Either way, isn't that a beautiful image of how God wants to meet with us? This is the call to action, not to hustle and hurry, but to sink down and let go. The Hebrew word used for know is yada, which means to have intimate knowledge. To know means to personally experience knowledge of God. This is the result of being still. So now let's retranslate this using these definitions in first person, which I'll call the Aaron Francis translation. I can allow myself to sink down, completely relax, let go and become feeble. I can accept God's invitation to loosen my grip and discover an intimate, up-close, and personal understanding that I would never experience otherwise. Okay, so we've determined that rest is pleasing to God. He wants to meet us with arms open wide, and through this we can know him intimately. Awesome! I want that, but how? Being still might literally mean quiet prayer, solitude, contemplation in a quiet environment, alone with your phone on silent and no small humans interrupting you. But God-honoring stillness can come in many forms. Being still is more a posture of our minds and inner self than anything outward. You might be someone who benefits from representing the posture of your heart and mind with your physical body by doing something like sitting still, having your eyes closed, or your hands open. 
Or you might be somebody who actually finds it easier to slow down and focus your mind and spirit while physically moving your body. And that's okay too. This doesn't have to look like your stereotypical image of someone sitting in quiet prayer. It's so important to steer clear of comparison games and remember that we are each uniquely wired with different ways of naturally connecting with our creator. The way your spouse, kid, parent, best friend, small group leader, or mentor connects with God is going to look different from you. There is no right or wrong with this. That's the cool thing about God. He made no mistakes in designing the ways that we are wired, and he is ready to meet us as he made us, all in his image. One of the most simple and helpful tools in learning your ways of connecting with God is finding your spiritual pathways. Spiritual pathways simply defined are the things that we engage in that lead us to a closer awareness and connection with God. Here are nine types and their brief definitions. Contemplatives draw near to God through personal adoration and heartfelt devotion. Naturalists draw near to God through nature. Sensits draw near to God through the senses. Traditionalists draw near to God through ritual and symbol. Activists draw near to God through bringing about social change. Solitude ascetics draw near to God through solitude and simplicity. Caregivers draw near to God through caring for and serving others. Enthusiasts draw near to God through celebration and mystery, and intellects draw near to God through their minds. Maybe you know yourself enough to look at this list and easily identify your own pathways, but if it would help you, we do have an assessment available um, on our Bible app event. That's what it's called, an event. <laughs> As you can see, contemplation and solitude are just some of the ways to connect with God. Leaning into your top two or three spiritual pathways is a great starting point for practicing the posture of stillness. Personally, I am a caregiver and a naturalist, meaning I am most aware of God with me when I am caring for others or in nature. Some of the times I have felt myself feeling closest with God have been late nights spent chatting with the sweet girls in my cabin as a summer camp counselor, being a part of mission, mission teams where we're all using our unique gifts to serve others and do something bigger than ourselves, and spending hours laying on a basketball court looking at the endless starry sky. Being responsible for a group of middle, middle schoolers for a week, traveling to another country to look poverty in the face, or laying outside on the hard ground with spiders and mosquitoes might not be your cup of tea. And that's okay, because service in nature might not be your natural ways of connecting with God. For example, my husband and I are the classic, ex classic example of opposites attract in many ways. <laughs> I'm introverted, he's extroverted. He's an intellect, and let's just say I'm more emotionally driven. <laughs> he likes to dance at weddings, and I like to blend into the crowd, eat, and watch people dance. <laughs> so naturally, my lowest scores on this assessment were his highest and vice versa. He's an enthusiast and an intellect. Some of you have seen Jeff dance his heart out and praise to Jesus, and there have been times I wish I had a little bit more of that celebration just flowing out of me, <laughs> but you know what? It's not naturally me. And he can deep dive into a Bible study or super nerdy conversation about time travel, and he comes alive while I end up with a headache <laughs> because it's not naturally how I'm wired. On the flip side, he likes being outside but doesn't experience a deeper awareness of God's presence through sweating while climbing a mountain with a 25-pound kid on his back, but I do. <laughs> and you know what? I will still be a part of meaningful worship experiences and study the Bible, 
and he will still serve others and enjoy God's creation. Because it's all good. There's no right or wrong, better or worse, when it comes to meeting with God. And there is no mistake in the way he designed you to experience connection with him. Every spiritual pathway is equally valuable because they all lead to the same thing. Intimacy with our creator. So check out that assessment before the end of the day and find some time and ways you can practice them this week. On a different topic, something that's really been exciting me is the expanding research and understanding of neuroscience. The more scientists seem to learn about the human brain, the more I see the existence of a creator who intricately designed our makeup. I was recently listening to a podcast with Bonnie Gray, who is an author, speaker, and podcaster who focuses her work on soul care. Some of her books include Whispers of Rest, Finding Spiritual White Space, and Sweet Like Jasmine. During this podcast interview, she went into some scientific research of what physically happens to our brains when we rest. But not just rest by sleeping or laying down and scrolling our phones. She explains that when we rest by engaging our body through activity, sorry, hang on. <laughs> when we rest by engaging our body through activity over sleeping and laying down, <laughs> just to define what kind of rest we're talking about. She explains that when our brains are stressed or overthinking, it engages a muscle in the brain called the amygdala. And in order to let go of that muscle, you need to take action. An example of action could be a 10-minute walk. Even if we don't realize it or feel like it, studies show that within 10 minutes, your body will release serotonin, which is a mood-lifting chemical that releases. Your body will literally feel better on a biological level. Has anybody ever experienced that with a quick walk? Yep. <laughs> she further explains that scientific research shows that when we do something physical, whether that be walking, hiking, playing the piano, moving paint on a canvas, or chopping vegetables for soup, this part of our brain that lights up when we have anxiety, stress, and depression turns off when we engage with our bodies. If you ask me, there is no mistake in our brains being designed this way. During this podcast, Bonnie states that slowing down does not mean doing nothing. It means doing things that help you de-stress. I think that is what we should cling to as we go from here. Slowing down and eliminating hurry is not adding to our plates. It should not feel like a burden as you write slow down as another item on your to-do list. Rest is not laziness. And as someone who loves and is fulfilled by being productive, this is a hard one for me. I am no rest expert, and anyone close to me knows this whole topic is a real struggle for me. But every part of me knows rest is an essential element of living in the way of Jesus. Rest should be a spiritual discipline we talk about and establish accountability for just as much as prayer, church attendance, reading your Bible, living in community, and loving others. Because hurry is incompatible with the way of Jesus. Hurry is a roadblock to intimacy with God. You know what I think rest can feel like? That cleansing breath after a good cry. Maybe you're not one to cry very often, but I think we're all familiar with the picture of someone crying and finally taking that deep breath that leads to regulation. That's what rest can be. A cleanse, an overcoming, a regulating. But there's another piece to rest that I think we can all relate to on some level. Guilt around rest. With a little boy to take care of and a messy home, helping lead different ministries I am a part of, and maintaining all of my relationships, 
I always feel guilty going for a quick drive to the ocean or to spend time in a coffee shop to do some writing. Nobody puts that on me. It's just my gut reaction to rest. It's not productive. There are more important things to do. But I am working to view rest with God as a spiritual discipline, just like prayer, time reading the Bible, and keeping my community healthy with other believers. A spiritual discipline or practice is just anything that's based on the life and teachings of Jesus. And as we saw in the examples earlier, Jesus modeled rest and getting away time and time again. Any and all of these spiritual pathways are spiritual disciplines that can and will lead us to personal close relationships with God if we simply be still and engage. As you learn your natural ways of connecting with God, keep in mind that there are two ways to practice spiritual disciplines. Disciplines where we engage and disciplines where we withdraw. Maybe we engage our bodies with other people, our minds, or maybe we withdraw from input, conversation, technology, movement. Both are good and necessary, and you'll find what serves you well at different times, and it might vary from moment to moment, day to day, and season to season. I want you to know that this is all part of my journey. I felt hesitant even speaking on this topic because it is such a personal struggle, and I don't want to be a hypocrite against my own words. But know that I have lived both sides of rest and hurry. I have experienced that closeness that comes from God, from consistency and being still with him. But I have also experienced the distance and overwhelm and anxiety that comes when I'm not meeting God in that time away with him. There have been times, whether as a mom, when I was a student in college, or in jobs that just started to feel like too much, when I would go running to my husband or mom and say, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I just don't know what to do. I hadn't been following Jesus' examples of making rest a habit or resting to recover or prepare. And all the while, the answer was right there. God's already said it and modeled it in various ways through different people in scripture. I believe he was saying in those moments, and will say it to me again, breathe, come away for a while, come be still with me. Experience Rafa, allow yourself to go limp in my arms, and I will meet you there with Yada an intimate knowledge of who I am and who you are. Rest, my child. I did, Jesus did, and you can too. Join your life with mine, and you will find refreshment and rest in me. Before we wrap up, I want to give you one more tool that is a newer discovery in my walk with Jesus, but I have found to be a really powerful practice. It is actually an ancient prayer, practice of prayer, just new to me. It is a classical way that monks have been praying since the Desert Fathers' times. It is often referred to as breath prayers. The idea is to choose one or two lines of scripture or a couple thoughts on your mind or even just how you're feeling and to inhale and exhale through them. A kind of beautiful thing about this spiritual discipline is that it brings in the psychological practice of mindfulness. Mindfulness is a therapeutic technique that focuses your awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting your feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations. Practicing mindfulness can help you overcome things like anxiety by bringing you into your body in the present moment. And while mindfulness on its own is good and helpful, I believe God wants to meet us there. A recent example of breath prayer from my life looks something like this, since I'm raising a toddler. <laughs> God, give me patience. <laughs> Any other parents been there before? <laughs> and trust me, I don't do this every time I'm feeling short on patience. 
But the times that I do, as simple and almost silly as it seems, it welcomes God right into the little moments of my day-to-day life. To use our verse from Psalm 46.10 as an example, you could start by taking a deep breath, repeating the phrase, be still, on the inhale and exhaling, and know that I am God. You can even just Google breath breath prayers, kind of a tongue twister, to learn more about the practice and find some templates. As we get ready to go from here, my prayer is that we would live with a pace of life that is compatible with the way of Jesus both as individuals and as a body united together, that we would live lives of service, acceptance, and love to everyone around us, like Jesus did. And I also pray that rest will become a habit in your life and in mine, physical rest, recovery rest, and rest of preparation and protection. I pray that this rest will lead to an intimacy with our Creator that helps helps us see ourselves the way God sees us, that we would experience deep knowledge of who God is and who we are becoming. My prayer this morning is that we would collectively establish habits of getting away with God and that it would lead us to love like Jesus did, flowing not from a cup run dry, but an overflow of intimately knowing our Father. We're going to listen to a song before we stand and sing together. I encourage you not to hurry, (laughs) but to instead sit and receive the words.
with me. 